0: Want to better your relationships, get confident asking for what you really want, and have more satisfying sex? Welcome to Intimate Interactions, a collection of juicy negotiations, informative explanations, sultry debriefings, and much more. Get early access and other goodies at patreon.com slash victorsalmon. Media representations impart behavioral instructions and give us clear information on what is normal and what is abnormal. In short, what we should and shouldn't do they're also a warning of what the consequences are if we show we're different. If the media doesn't show minorities at all, or worse, shows us only in a negative light, think Kingster's on CSI, it's hard to know if it's safe to be out of the closet at all. If we worry our peers have been warned against us or given misinformation that we are, insert stereotype here, we may feel shame and avoid discussing our identity at all. In addition, when there are no good low-level positions for a minority at a company in an industry, say the media, movies, etc., there are fewer experienced minorities, and then when hiring for high-level positions in that industry happens, management complains the minority talent simply doesn't exist. That reaction defends a broken system and blames minorities rather than focusing on the heart of the problem and asking what solutions we can offer. One solution might be to include more low-level positions or roles for minorities, a sort of trickle-up effect. Those low-level professional roles then lead to experience and produce higher-level performers in that industry, provided minorities are given a chance to be those high-level performers. Much of this in media comes down to authentic writing. That means writing from one's own experience or from a very well-researched, consulted, and understood experience of another. Having a diverse group of writers or authors working on creative projects also helps give that project the best chance to represent diverse views and catch inaccurate or degrading stereotypes. Disclaimer: I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks. I'm open to being called in. Chances are six months from now I'll look back aghast and see something horrifically problematic I'm not proud of. I'm certainly not perfect but I'm trying to be mindful of the voices I choose to lift up and the perspectives that I encourage. Along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on unceded traditional Coast Salish territory, specifically that of the Musqueam Nation. Welcome to my second session with X, my director, scriptwriter, monogamous kinky white friend. Hello, hello. Hi, X. So we already had a conversation about different dating scripts, and while we weren't quite as exhaustive as perhaps we could have been, I thought it would be good to change gears and talk more about changing those scripts so that they can be more inclusive of different types of people that maybe you want the option to do flowers and chocolate and all those cool dinner and movie style dates, but maybe they find going to the supermarket and shopping for food together as a first date is a better option. I mean, you can get to know someone in a totally different way that way.
1: Yeah. To change is great. Let's talk about how to figure out and, and a way to do that. Sure. Um... So I guess my first thought, like if I, if I meet somebody and I'm interested in them and they say my perfect first date is for instance, to go to the grocery store and let's, let's go buy some food. Great. Awesome. All right. That first of all makes my life easy because I don't have to plan the date. Let's just go buy some food. Yeah. See what we talk about. But what they've done there is they just told me what they wanted. Yeah. And if I really want to take them on dinner and do flowers, say, all right, but I tell you what. How about for date two or four or five, whatever, sure. I get to take you to dinner and I get to do the traditional, you know, uh, the traditional style of date. Cause that's what I really want to do. Sure. Maybe, would you be open to that as well?
0: Yeah. And I love the way you phrase that. Would you be open to that? It, it's not like, here's what I want and it's going to be as a trade for doing what you want. It's just a, okay. And like, it's very much an improv, like yes. And I'm good. I I'm, I'm yes to that date going shopping for food. And in addition, I have these other desires. Are you a yes to those desires?
1: Well, exactly, right? I mean, they can't know what I want to do unless I ask them. Right. And I can't know what they want unless they tell me. Right. And one of the things, I guess this leads into a more conversation as well about even just when you meet people. Um, I see a lot of people, a lot of different types, just Mm -hmm. kind of sit there and go... I'm really intred- interested in this person, what do I do? And it's like, well, say hi to them. Right. Well, and then what? Well, tell them you're interested in them. Totally. Well, what if they're not interested? I'm like, then you know. Or you can not do any of those things and wonder. And never know. And wonder and wonder. Yeah. That could take months, could take years. But if you just straight up ask them, it's, uh, this terrified me. This okay. whole concept, I'm a very shy person by mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. I did If you had told me to do this ten years ago, twenty years ago, three years ago, it'd have been like, No, that's That's not happening. That's so scary. But it's so intelligent. It respects everyone's time, Mm -hmm. tells you what's going on, everyone nobody's ever been mad at me for saying, I'm interested in you, what do you think of that? Right. They might sit there and go, Oh, I'm dating somebody, I have a boyfriend, I'm not interested. I don't necessarily need a reason. If they're not interested, they're not interested. Absolutely. They've never been upset for me asking.
0: Yeah, it's typically when people ask why. Like, it's typically when people feel entitled to a reason or feel entitled to someone's time that people get upset. Typically, if you're having a conversation and you just, like, voice, like, here's something I'm interested in, and there's no pressure or power associated with that request, it's
1: easy. You know, and asking why is a really fascinating question. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's and it's one of those things that I wish we could change uh, a lot of behavior in. Because when I ask somebody why, I don't really want to know their personal reasons. I just want to know did I do something to put you off.
0: Interesting. I'm not
1: asking why. You know what I mean? I just want to know, did I say something wrong? Or right. is this okay? Is it not about me?
0: Right. Is this is this about me or not? Because if it is about me, I'm open to the feedback. Exactly. I hear what you're saying. That's all I want to know. And so right. why I could mean a million things? It's such right. a big question. And with how much street harassment happens, especially to a lot of women, uh-huh. it, it makes sense, right? That people would be upset potentially because they might see in that question all the other times they've been harassed.
1: Exactly. And again, I can't understand that because sure. I don't, I've never... Experience. I've never had to see it. I've never dealt with it. You've you never know. been catcalled. Exactly. I'm. I think I'm attractive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: and I'm sure, and I'm sure some people <laughs> are rolling their eyes at that comment. I, right, I, right. I'm, I'm sorry to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. The, uh, there's definitely a percentage of the audience that finds that genuinely funny as well, and they're probably the same people that wouldn't under that also haven't been catcalled.
1: It's a, it's a poor joke, and catcalling seems. Cat is one of those things that you see in media that sure. exists for a reason. You don't know where it came from or why, mm-hmm. um, so you don't know you don't know the effect it has. It's just it's it's so well, it's, weird.
0: It's so it's so strange to me the idea of yelling someone out of a passing car too, because that's a totally different kind of harassment. It's like, what are you trying to accomplish by yelling out of a car? Clearly, you're not interested in actually... Like, they're not going to... Oh, wow, that, that person I briefly see passing the car's... I'm going to run after that car and try and get in and start a conversation. Like, that's not going to happen. No. So, like, clearly, I'm stealing someone's joke. Whose joke is that? I feel like that's a Seinfeld joke somewhere that I saw in stand-up. Anyways, the point I'm making is it's, it's absurd to think that that has to do with dating someone. It, it has more to do with being in a position to make that observation and reducing that person to that observation in a way that I think only people who haven't been objectified like that would think might possibly be received as a compliment
1: and the thing of it is it came from somewhere you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like I know for me when I first learned what catcalling was and that it wasn't exactly a great thing in any way shape or form sure sure um, I was just I confused at this whole concept. Where yeah. did it come from, and why? It why did we do it? Yeah, why were we? I mean, I don't do it, but I mean, why do people do it? Why do people do it? Exactly. Yeah. And when did it start? Mm-hmm. That's uh, fascinating. You know, and this brings up a lot of weird habits that people do. That you're like, sure. why do you do this? Well, some people do it because it worked, and it might not work anymore. But at some point, sure. there was a there was a time in the world where. You're talking more about
0: selection. That if a behavior is effective, people will keep doing it.
1: Yeah, but it's possible it's effective at something other than getting you a date. Exactly. Right. There might have been a time frame or or an era where a group of boys pulling up to somebody they may or may not know from high school in the '50s, grease style, and say, "Hey, are Are you interested in some grease lightning inside of you?" Exactly. Right. She might say yes. She might say no. But if if they get enough people that are kind of interested in that party. Sure, even if one out of 80 says
0: yes, and that person has no other social training on how to interact with women or how to approach dating or sexuality, they might just keep doing that, even though 79 out of 80 really dislike
1: it, to and, find that one. that. And you know. so eventually they have kids, and this kid learns, oh, let me tell you about how I met your mother. Oh, God. Catcalling. Yes. Suddenly it's still this thing that exists oh, that never has worked since, but people use it, and they don't know why. That's fascinating.
0: That's not the angle that I would have initially thought of for catcalling. For me, I've always seen it as a thing that's a group male behavior. It tends to be something a group of guys does where one of them is doing it to demonstrate their masculinity to the others. Like, in a lot of ways, it has nothing to do with a woman being
1: catcalled. Well, and and that comes from a a lot of that as well. exactly the same kind Mm -hmm. of way, you know what I mean? By doing this, I gained this thing, I showed I was this, you know what I mean? Like, sure. it's super weird.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting how we get these gendered things in manhood that are almost traditions of showing a rite of passage, and I think traditions and rites of passage are very important. Having that demarcation of, um, as Fry says, alas, war has finally turned me into a man. Whee! <laughs> All the way down the hill. Um... <laughs> And, and I think that's also kind of a funny um, parody of gender, this notion that men don't play, which, which to me is a really toxic idea. Oh. And when people talk about toxic masculinity, they're not saying that being a man is bad. And they're, not, they're, they're just saying that there are ways that people use the phrase, be a man, that is harmful to other men. I mean, toxic masculinity affects everyone, but I think even if we take strictly a masculine facing approach to this, I think that's a valid, important conversation that deserves its own space. And I think as to men, I mean, I'm a queer man, sometimes I feel very genderqueer, but um, I, I do mo- mostly present masculine, so I think it's fair for me to call myself a man. Yeah, for um, sure. And I feel like it's one of those questions that we're actually qualified to talk about, as opposed to you know, dissecting certain aspects of gender. Because as soon as we were talking about catcalling... I found we were both sort of asking the same question, and I feel like there may have been a large part of non-men listening that would have been been waiting for us to get to the answer and being like, catch up, guys. Like, come on. Like, we, we yeah. have had the answer for the last, like, 100 years. You just have had the privilege of not needing to know about it.
1: You know, it makes me think a lot about how there's been an epidemic of dick pics getting sent on. Interesting, Interesting question, yes. Uh, and this, to me, is... Exactly in the same vein, just a lot right, more... Right, of what works, what and digitally, can you hit a thousand people where two of them might be interested in
0: your dick only?
1: And that's the thing, right? And any, any salesman will tell you, if you ask enough, someone will say yes. Right. And that's... This I mean, behavior it's, it's coercive as fuck, but it doesn't awful. change the fact that it may promote the behavior in that it's effective once or twice kind of deal. And I don't think that excuses the behavior either. I'm not definitely not trying to excuse sure, the sure. behavior, but I'm saying that it, it exists because somebody out there said, yeah, that's great. Let's go bang. Sure. Um, and unfortunately, the people that are being hurt by this aren't the people the guy cares about when they're sending this kind of picture. Right. Um so such a bad system. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it really
0: comes down to how do you change that? How do you affect social change? Getting back onto the idea of changing these dating scripts, because you're right, that is a dating script. Like, all of these things are great. They're totally on topic, because we are talking about, here are dating scripts. There are literally people that believe I photograph my genitals, I send my genitals to someone, and eventually, you know, step three, profit. Like, eventually that somehow leads to a relationship, or even just sex.
1: And I guess the question becomes what's an easier way for those people to find somebody that wants to fool around and have some fun that you don't have to harass everybody else to get to? Well,
0: I mean, we could just create an archive of dick pics where everyone goes and submits pi- the best pictures of their genitals and call it, like, I don't know. Um... Reddit slash r slash <laughs> Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but I mean, like, a dick-finding service. Like, you'd create, like, an OKC, only it would be OKD, and then everyone would just upload a profile of their dick and then people of all orientations that are interested in dicks would go on, look at profiles, and just like, yeah, I'm interested in that dick. That's the one for me. That is that is the inexplicably shirtless photo that's in this profile for no reason, except now it's like, why is there a clothed photo in here?
1: Yeah. Oh, this guy doesn't understand this site at all. Yeah, this is not <laughs> what I came here to look at. Um, but it could be just a simple matter of saying, you know, I mean, it's it's a very quick way to let someone know I'm interested in one thing, yeah. one thing only. But sure. there's, a, there's another way to say that, and that's exactly just to say it.
0: Like, legitimately, you could just message them and say, hey, um, this is who I am. I'm interested in in this. Like, I'm interested in fucking. Yeah. If that's not something that interests you, that's totally cool.
1: I'm sorry I bothered you. Totally. Totally. And I think that if we can teach people that you can politely ask for sex yeah and ex- as long as you accept the answer can be no more times than not and it's not a dig it's just yeah. that's how it works totally um, i think that's where a large part of changing culture really will start to start to move and that goes for both uh, that goes for everybody it's mm-hmm. okay for a woman to sit there and say i'm really interested in sex do you want to go for a round And you know what I mean? Yeah, It's it's not a bad thing. Sure, and have a partner say no. Yeah, and have a partner say no or yes or or can we go shopping later?
0: It's something I have heard from a lot of men, too, is that because of the way hegemonic gender is set up... And just to explain that term for listeners that may not know, um, are you familiar with the concept of hegemony? No. So the idea is if you have, like, say, a whole bunch of nation-states... And one of them has more power. Like if you look at the U.S. trade dispute, where currently they're thinking of pulling out of NAFTA, they just levy a tariff on Canada. I mean, we can try and tariff them back, but we both know what the sizes of the economies are. And if that ever push, ever came to shove, there's power there. Yeah. Being able to lean on people and get them to agree to what you want is hegemony. And often it's it's shown as one superpower, quote unquote, with a lot of other nations around them that are like... I mean, obviously, they negotiate for themselves. They try and advocate for themselves. But ultimately, they have limited power in what they can push for. It's like the initiator of that conversation, of that diplomacy, is going to be the country with power more more often than not. And typically, when they compromise, it's going to fall on the side of not the superpower giving more than they're receiving.
1: Exactly. So okay. whenever
0: there's push and shove and compromise, it tends to fall in a way that's favorable to the one that's dominating all the others through hegemony. So when we talk about hegemonic gender, we talk about this idea of, okay, we're going to have these two pre-described genders. And I mean, obviously, we have gender-fucked non Non gender non confining, oh wow, I am really struggling today. Gender non conforming, um, gender non binary, all these various agender, other gender, both genders, there there are a lot of different labels that people choose to use to describe themselves and they don't fall under man or woman. Regardless, we're going to, as society, prescriptively assign all these traits. This is what um, an ideal woman does, or this is what our idea of a woman. Is and what a woman should try and embody. These are ideas of what a man should try and embody. It's going to assign things asymmetrically so that things that are more likely to promote success in our society asymmetrically get assigned to men. So men can be in control, leaders, they can tell their people what to do. Women can try to be in control and they're called bossy, they can try and be leaders, they're called bitchy, they can try and get us to do things and they're seen as selfish. Um, so it's it's a question of how can we how can we look at this asymmetrical distribution and at the very least be aware of like, oh, this is actually something I've never really thought of as a man, and it's actually pretty crappy if all of a sudden all these behaviors that I'm like, well, let them eat let them just eat cake, like why can't they just go be a leader? why can't they be really performant at work? And there are all these fears about well if i if I show off what I can actually do. It's not that I'm performing at work, I'm being a show-off, or I'm selfish, or maybe it's not even other people. Maybe it's internalized misogyny. Maybe it's internalized gender baggage, where a person says, well, sure, I performed really well at work, and my boss gave me compliments, and I still feel like garbage. Like, I just feel like I shouldn't have been a selfish bitch today. And I feel like, you know, going over those interactions in your head of like, was it too much? Like even having to ask that question in a way that someone socializes a man wouldn't even be asking that question probably.
1: You know, and it's 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 a really beautiful question. Um, I've definitely had moments with a partner where they've asked me, "I this thing happened, can I describe it to you and let me know what you think?" Oh yeah, that's if interesting. I've done anything wrong or done anything right or whatever, sure. and we we discuss it. And I think that's a lot of it. You know, I mean, if if for me, if I were If I were doing something and somebody said, you're being bossy, for instance, um, or I've I've had this one as as a leader, you're kind of an asshole today. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, okay, how do I go about doing that? So what I've started to do is as – the more times I hear it, and if you can ask for feedback and say, what would I do to improve? What would make me still do great at this while not being perceived different or being perceived Mm -hmm. differently?
0: Right, not being – perceived as an asshole but still succeeding because here clearly here are the tasks I'm trying to accomplish right. and here are the methods I'm using and you're saying you don't like the methods and I'm, I'm open to that what could I do differently to do the same thing
1: one of my uh, one of my all time best friends uh, was my boss when I worked at a, at a restaurant and she was very bossy mm-hmm. very much this is it's this way or the highway sure um, and I was so glad I ended up becoming great friends with her because I got to say you know I personally just hate being told what to do I have no problems doing what you ask, but if you can just ask me, say, hey, do you mind doing this instead of, hey, do this, I will do it and I won't be your problem. But the minute you tell me to do it, suddenly you're bossy and that to me is just a communication issue. Interesting. That's not anything you're doing wrong. Do you, if you were a guy doing it, it would same be the same thing conversation. For you. I would just okay, no, because that yeah. is a
0: common piece of feedback that women leaders often have to deal with. Is the whole they have to they have to ask differently than men tend to have to ask in workplaces. That's a really common one that you hear about.
1: And and the biggest thing I think like because I I, I I tell the same thing to any uh, any employer that's a male as well. If they give me an order, yeah, I just no, you right. know what I mean. I think. For the men, they don't care. They're just like, you'll do it. You know what I mean? Or whatever. They'll have sure. that conversation a little easier. Sure. Um, it's less of an affront because right. of those uh, different societal norms or whatever it is. Sure. They don't see it as like, I'm... A...
0: Right. That that conflict's okay. Yeah. And more to the point, it's never going to really affect their career. Exactly.
1: Right. Whereas so, if a
0: woman gets a reputation, even if employees are still obedient, if management starts hearing that she's really bossy... Um, especially if that management is all men um, but sometimes even for people who have internalized a lot of this gender baggage then yeah, they
1: may view her as not fit for a promotion and and it's it's so sad, it's so one of the beauty things that I was able to do just on a personal relationship was she she never changed all the things she told me to do she just changed how she asked me and for me that worked really well mm-hmm. and I did them all, it wasn't a question of could she do the job, was she right for it Was you know what I mean, gender had nothing to do with it I just hate being told what to do Sure. I like being asked what to do. That's fine, and it's, it's and that that might
0: be a unique X thing as opposed to, um, as opposed to a gender specific thing in this context. For a lot sure. of the time, that type of feedback is feedback that asymmetrically gets given to women, and that's that they should ask. They should be more polite while leading. Is like the type of thing that. that some people have a broken record on.
1: And that's so sad because there's so many men out there who are super rude in the mm-hmm. way they lead things. And again, it's... How I think you you're t- just a polite person. How do you tell them off? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and man, that's... It's a whole other topic of being the, the employee telling the employer off. Right. Um, it's, and
0: it's it's interesting because if an employee ultimately doesn't have lots of power at that company and can't tell them off men might get a reputation for getting things done where a woman gets a repu- reputation for being a bitch. Right, and that's... For the same behaviors. And it's, it's that kind of lens that shifts how we see behavior as policing. It, it really restricts um, what certain genders can do. And, and this isn't always going to be restrictive exclusively of women, but I think disproportionately it does affect them if we look yeah. at like different situations there are always going to be somewhere where women have a little more leeway and men have a little less but that's a separate conversation that doesn't detract from how serious this one is
1: well and, and talking about I guess changing right so mm-hmm. so in the, in the vein of changing how yeah. looking at that situation yeah. just on its own how would we even go about it and I think a large part of the problem isn't that the younger people moving into the workforce understand that yeah there's no problem she's the boss let's carry on they don't I mm-hmm. I think that they're brought up a little more that men and women are doing this equally and. Uh, I, I think mean, I I like to I like to hope so. I like to hope so as well, but I think that the older generation that tends to run these companies and be the yeah. bosses because they put in their time years ago when they yeah. started.
0: And conservatives live longer. Conservative people tend to outlive. Um, lower socioeconomic income people, so poor people don't live as long as rich people, and rich people tend to disproportionately hold conservative views. And as a result of that, our aging population tends to be more conservative, not necessarily because it's smart to be conservative or because you get older and eventually become curmudgeonly. It's more that if you hold those views, you're likely in a class of society that is likely to get
1: older. And see, exactly. And how do you teach them? That's right. where the change comes well, from, Well, and then right? this isn't necessarily and, even a dig at conservatives. I don't mean to say there's not anything wrong all. with
0: that. I have,
1: yeah. How do you teach anyone with that mindset, regardless of who they are, you know what I mean? If they're yes. in a mindset where they're like, this woman's bossy and, you know right. what I mean? Whatever. Um, how do you teach them that that's not necessarily the case? And mm-hmm. how do you get them to see it from their perspective is the question of change. And that's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially when they're fixed on not changing. If literally like the word
0: conservative is about conserving, yeah. we're literally talking about traditional value systems, how do you talk about changing those value systems when someone is literally labeling their whole political philosophy around not change?
1: And I guess the question, the first question could become, well, what are the benefits of the change? Why is this a problem for you? Right. And uh, maybe that's... And most people probably just don't want to hear it. And, well, when they do, let's change them Um, if we can. But I guess that's the first big question is, Mm -hmm. well, first of all, you're going to lose half the people that could help your business.
0: Right. By not respecting them. And in mixed board businesses, I remember reading a study a long time ago that when you have mixed officers in a corporation, by mixed I mean of gender, when you have women and men, they just tend to be more effective And this is supported by research from group studies of humans that humans that are split on gender tend to have a more diverse toolkit when solving problems. And that, I mean, there's no specific reason that I can think of that necessarily, like those, those studies don't necessarily show there's a specific reason. They only have the finding that these mixed groups do better. So it may be because women are socialized with certain tools and men are socialized with other tools. It may be because there is some innate problem solving ability, although that's not what I would conclude from the studies I've looked at.
1: Interesting. So I guess, I guess what I would like to say is that I'd hope that I mean, if if you're perceived as something and you kind of... and you know that it's based on actual feedback versus it's actually just discrimination of the gender. Right. You know what I mean? Like, with one, you can do something with. And if you keep hearing it after you've done some good due diligence, that's discrimination. You know what I mean? But hopefully both hopefully in that situation you can sit there and give uh, people could sit there and weigh what what's going on here and really sure. see you know what I mean like yeah. can I improve because there's one thing to say you know yeah you can improve in this job by doing things a little differently
0: sure um, and I think that's true for everybody, but exactly. unfortunately, sometimes it's viewed through a gendered lens.
1: And that's and that's the question that you kind of I don't know how to I, I can't sure. help sure. answer that. But if you can find out how to view which lens you're getting some of these, sure. Uh, like you said, from
0: how do you even how do you convince a boss that because that boss happens to be a man and happens to be bigger than his employees, it's intimidating when he yells? Yeah. I mean, even explaining the context, um, if we want to touch on, say, violence against women, um, how how do you convince someone when they're like, but I'm not in an intimate relationship with this person, they're my frickin' employee, and I tell them what to do, and they have that really like staunch mindset. Like, how do you explain to them that when they're dealing with, you know, people that have been socialized as women, that that can be frightening in a way that it isn't for their... Men possibly, possibly isn't. Um, I've had employers that have literally punched walls who are men, and I found that very frightening. Terrifies, yeah. Right. So, like, I'm I'm not trying to say that it can happen to men. I'm I'm just saying that disproportionately, um, we were we were looking at statistics earlier um, for violence against women, and I think it was over half of female homicides in the U S. are intimate partner homicides. That's just like unthinkable. It, it's
1: the scariest number I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, like that was new new information. I imagine for you, I've looked at the stats before.
1: Yeah, fifty five percent at least. It was. Anyway. Yeah,
0: that's just staggering. So I mean, how do you? <sighs> so trying to put into context that that's asymmetrical that fifty five percent of the homicide of men is not intimate partners. Yeah, like That just isn't the case. So trying to understand that there is context around our behavior, and that context shapes our filters and our reactions, as opposed to people trying to pretend that because, say, for example, women have the right to vote, that therefore, feminism has done its job, and we live in this equal society. We don't. I mean, I wish we did. I share their passion for equality. I just take a very different stance on it in that, yes, and we should be doing a lot to ensure that equality and looking honestly at the ways that our society isn't equal and trying to at least promote awareness, if not address them directly.
1: And you know, a lot of it is I mean, if you take the average person, I'm gonna I'm gonna bash the media for this again. Sure and, and you sit there and say feminism is doing this and you give this right really big like uh, show of, of these feminists that are doing some rally mm-hmm. that doesn't talk about what the average feminist is probably doing day to day tr- to sure. facilitate good healthy small changes in a world Sure, sure. they're going to be like well that's right they disagree for these reasons yeah they are only seen the one system that the media put on because sure. it was the loudest voices Oh, and it, the and loudest voice argument and, and then it's th- going to be a white it's going to be a panel of three white guys and a black guy
0: talking about feminism and you're like why is this even on the air? It's not content of any quality or authenticity, at least. Maybe it's high quality, but at the very least, I mean, says the
1: guy who's talking to another guy about feminism right now. Which is funny, right? And I guess that's part of uh, trying to figure out how to change. I guess, what what could we do in that situation where we see a woman trying to be a leader, you know, being a leader, yeah, uh, not trying at all, but being a leader in a situation where people aren't giving her the, the right respect or... Sure. Um, that they would if she was doing or, the same thing as... Uh, or viewing the, the
0: respect that they do have for her through the lens of, and is she performing her gender well?
1: Yeah. Which, in yeah.
0: fairness, is the same lens that they view male bosses by, or, or bosses that are men. They, they view it through the same lens. Is he performing his gender well? People judge each other on this normative gender policing crap based on this gender binary that I don't believe exists, that I certainly haven't experienced, um, by which I mean my experience of gender hasn't been binary, And the difference being the gendered instructions for a man boss are different than the gendered instructions for a woman boss. And they're stacked in such a way that sometimes being a quote-unquote ideal woman is in conflict with being the best leader for the situation.
1: You know, and this brings up something I mentioned on our last session together um, where I said one of the things that I can do as a leader that people really respected and liked was show weakness. I don't know what to do. I'm right, scared. Right. I'm insecure. Yeah. That is such a different story if that yes. was in power. So yes. that's, this is where the great start of our understanding comes from where yeah. if she says that, that might, that gender norm suddenly weighs on her like nothing else. I suddenly, right. it makes so much more sense to me now, this conversation, you know, like, right. Oh my God. Um, huh. I wonder how you get past that. Like, how you change the world. Yeah, that's um I I
0: once saw a con- actually I think it was the consentcrew.org maybe. It's the Vancouver Consent Crew, but they had this meme that was I'm sorry for the inconvenience. We're trying to change the world.
1: Oh. And I, I just like thought that. it was
0: it was a nice sentiment to be like, yeah, I mean, we are actually trying to to do something meaningful.
1: That's nice.
0: Yeah. So I That's guess, how how do you set about changing gender norms? And I think the first thing is exactly what you said in our first session when we were talking about what is the status quo. And it comes back to that non-normative, I don't really know a lot about genders other than man or woman. That's typically what I've been exposed to. And it's okay if I don't have an opinion.
1: Yeah. I can just
0: lift up the voices of people that do have an opinion about it, that have some life experience or lived experiences is what I meant to say.
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's. You don't need to have an opinion on something you don't understand. Yeah. You don't need to have an opinion on something you don't know. Yeah. And there's no harm in if you meet somebody that says, I'm going through this, to say, how can I help you? Yeah. Man, that changes the world. How can I help you? Yeah,
0: even if there's nothing you can do, just knowing that you're a person that's willing to support them makes the world a friendlier place.
1: Yeah, I mean, there have been times in my life where I really didn't understand what someone was going through it didn't I had no concept no grounding point it was just they could have been speaking in a different language and I would still have just as much knowledge on what they were talking about and the minute you sit down and go how can I help what do you need what can I do suddenly I still don't have much information I don't have any experience but I'm getting some knowledge on what will be beneficial to help a fellow human being yeah, And that makes it a lot of difference, you know? You don't have to understand the problem to help. Yeah, that's true. You don't have to
0: understand the problem to help. Sometimes you just have to know someone who does understand the problem and have enough trust built that you genuinely believe you're you're helping and to do your best and to acknowledge that you're a flawed human being that's going to make mistakes sometimes.
1: Yeah, I don't know what's going on. But if I can help, please tell me what to do. Yeah. Tell me what, you know? Man, what a good conversation.
0: Yeah, and and I think... <laughs> <laughs> You flatter me, sir. <laughs> I'm but learning. I'm, I'm glad that's that's what this is all about. And and I think you're such a an approachable person and not defensive about these issues. And that's why, again, I think you just make such a perfect guest for this style of interaction for this type of conversation.
1: Well, thank you. You know, it's it's good. I like to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, fair Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, compliments are hard to receive. Yeah, no, I appreciate, I appreciate it. Compliments are. This is a fun conversation. I've. I'm i glad. I've tried to teach people or, or show, like, man, uh, we got We have yeah. to learn how to take comments. That's another thing we got to teach people.
0: Yeah, and again, that comes back to social norms. Being seen as arrogant or being seen as um, not humble enough, lacking in humility. All of these these myths about we're not allowed to celebrate our wins, and for a lot of people that are increasingly. Delegating conflict to social media, where you can block and you can unfriend and you can ghost people in a way unprecedented in human experience. A lot of those people are going up without the experience of, wow, I really have to learn to deal with this person, and they have to learn to deal with me, and we both know from experience it's going to be exhausting for all us at each other's throats. So we're just going to be cautious about what we talk about. We'll just try and, you know, endure our fellow human and just go about our day working. That that experience is now, because we have this, like, utopian almost... I mean, I hesitate so strongly (laughs) to use that word, because every... But, you know, every utopia has dystopian elements. I think that's what's fascinating about utopia. There's no such thing. It is no... I mean, I was just reading Margaret Atwood's Science Fiction and Other Worlds, and it's just fantastic, as she discusses utopia through fantasy and science fiction. And I just love how much she has to say about there's no such thing as a utopia. Like, ultimately, every utopia is a dystopia from a different person's perspective. You can look at the 1950s and say, yeah, it was a utopian time to be a white guy. Uh, yeah. And it exactly. was a dystopian time to be pretty much anything and else. everyone else. Yeah, yeah. So when I look at social media like that, it's in some ways you can find this quote-unquote safe space where you are judge, jury, and executioner of who gets the ban hammer. And you get to personally curate a support network of people using all of these tools that don't seem bad but may be highly coercive. If someone's worried that they're going to get banned from your friend list and that that might bring with it shame and social consequences, they don't feel like they're free to speak. True. You get these echo chambers forming and then you have people going out into the real world where they're not in a curated social environment saying this all feels really abusive to me. And sometimes it is, and sometimes maybe it's just full of conflict. Maybe there are more diverse perspectives than you've chosen to include in your curated social
1: environment. And that's, and that's the hard part, right? When you bring people together that don't agree, they're going to mm-hmm. disagree. And disagreeing is, is fine, but you don't have to hurt each other to disagree. Absolutely. And you don't have to bring each other's arguments down to make yours stand out. You know what I mean? And that's something that I, we don't teach people how to disagree.
0: Right. And it's also that there are sometimes power dynamics behind that. So when you have a power dynamic, when a boss is disagreeing with an employee or maybe harder to understand for some, if um, a straight person is dis- if, if a vanilla person is disagreeing with a kinky person on something that maybe they have some expertise in
1: yeah. and the
0: vanilla person doesn't have tons of expertise, or if, you know, a straight person is disagreeing with a queer person about the pride parade and that person's not out. And they have to listen to this person drone on in this privileged fashion where they don't even feel safe to exist as they are. Like, those are the sorts of power dynamics that happen where people go, this feels like abuse. And it's because there's that power dynamic behind the opinion.
1: And and I think the moment that anyone wants to disagree with somebody, and that's something I really hope we, we start teaching people when they're young. A disagreement isn't an attack. Yeah, not on not knowing where someone's coming from and saying I disagree with what you're saying. Why are you saying it? Sure, is a much better way. So that absolutely, you can't really truly disagree with someone until you know exactly what they're talking about. Absolutely, um, and this is something that I think a lot of people. I would I would do. even go
0: so far as using phrasing like that hasn't been my experience. Exactly. because that's never really false you're the expert of your experience and it doesn't matter how privileged you are in whatever way if you say to someone who's say as a person living with disabilities um, if they say like wow this venue really doesn't try you can be like that hasn't been my experience I'm super interested to hear what makes you say that,
1: exactly. that I love that I'm going to start using that <laughs> I'm just absorbed and taken amazing please um, there's no copyright that it will is. soon be my experience
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it Um, So, yeah, it's that idea of having this, like, I'm surprised by the comment you just made. And instead of saying something that's defensive of where I am, I'm going to choose not to be entrenched in my experience. I'm going to open myself up to that really hasn't been my experience. I'm interested in what makes you say that. I love that. And I'm going to experimentally start using that as a person of color or as a queer person out in the world when I run into people who say highly privileged things. That's great. Because and, I wonder if that's going to be a much better starting place for having these conversations with people about, like, holy shit, what you just said was mighty racist. And instead of just being like, that hasn't been my experience. What makes you say that? And really just asking them those gentle questions.
1: And the beauty is you have such a wonderful way of just asking people things that is, it's is non-confrontational, which is so useful. Because just the way you said that, I'm like... Oh, and I felt like a warm hug and like, let's talk about our experiences. And that's partly
0: because you're receptive and that's partly because (laughs) I trust you. So I'm willing to invest the emotional labor in having that conversation with you. I know that my words aren't wasted with you. If I put time and attention into our relationship as friends, just chatting with you about like this issue or that issue... I know that you're thrilled to be having the conversation and that's that's a very X thing to be thrilled about. Like, oh, you are uniquely excited about learning new things in a way that fills me with joy and it's part of the reason why I love being your friend and love having these interactions with you. Oh, thank you so much.
1: There are constantly, I, I go on Facebook once every now and then and I probably write about 40 posts a month that i okay. never post or touch really because i don't think anyone's gonna really care what i'm saying what well, my words are gonna be wasted on facebook because it's just a place where people put whatever they want to wow. tell the world they're doing i'm like nobody's listening to me on facebook why am i even bothering to post i had this? no idea i do this con i don't know why every now all the time i catch myself i'll write this post this thought and piece, then just delete rant, it and i'll delete it and i'll carry on my day like i posted it it makes zero difference in in the world, but I posted what I wanted and then deleted it again before it even got into the world. Uh, I've done do that this, like once or twice out of fear of what people were gonna say. Interesting. I do it all the time. I constantly. I'll post long replies on people's things and then and I'll just delete like delete it. and be like, I'm not interested
0: in continuing that conversation.
1: Yeah, you're one of the. If I have something to say on yours, I've never deleted a comment. Oh, I've thought that, about that for makes yours. me feel really. Um, I would. Uh, if I had something to say, I'll usually say it right away and a lot of you know what I mean? So. <laughs> yeah, and again,
0: that comes back to the trust that you're going to have. You're going to be understood that exactly. if you're making this bid for support, um, Gottman and his lab use this term um, turning towards, turning away, or turning against ah. as the three ways that, that we sort of respond to bids. And again, I'm very much simplifying their work, but I find that to be a simple and awesome way to talk about the more important idea of how do we respond to others' requests for intimacy, almost sharing of of your even of your thoughts or of your feelings, can be very intimate. Even if you're just saying something as trivial as, you know, I actually really don't like ice cream. If you feel like that person will turn against you and rail about how much they love ice cream and how like even jokingly you're nuts not to like it, you might. You might be reticent to even share that. Yeah,
1: you'll question it next time.
0: I mean, and this is a silly example about ice cream. But what if it were really serious? What if it was, I have this, you know, I'm I'm a very genderqueer person, but I usually present as masculine when I go out in public. Maybe, and I know some people are going to look at that and go, wow, does he ever not want to give up his privilege? And you know what? I'm not going to say no to that. I don't think it's... I mean, the people who have the strength are going to do the work. Sometimes I have the strength, like when I'm on Facebook, when I'm with my family, I'll be out about being queer, I'll be out about being kinky, I'll be out about being non-monogamous. But when it comes to gender presentation, I will go to a party and I will wear, you know, various makeup, depending on what it is. Um, I always like the way that I look in eyeliner. I don't know why more guys don't wear eyeliner. And, and there's, I guess there's the whole gender-shamey component to it because people see it as a binary. They see, oh, if I'm doing stuff more towards the middle of the road or if I start performing more of a feminine gender in addition to my masculine gender. Because it's not an either-or. Yeah. When, when, I, when I really get dressed up to the nines and I put on lip stain and I do eyeliner... That doesn't change my beard. I'm still showing masculine gender. I'm just, in addition to that, showing elements of feminine gender. And I like the gestalt. I like what I look like when I have all of that on. It's a pain in the ass to put on. I'm definitely learning a lot about man privilege and not having to wear makeup to work, for example. Like, holy shit. I understand why people get eyeliner tattoos because... I, I think, and which I'm imagining you I'd never heard of that. Sure.
1: Yeah, my face said, I have never heard of such a thing. <laughs> oh my God.
0: But think of how much time it saves if you spend 20 minutes in the morning. And I, and I know I'm showing how novice I am at putting an eyeliner. There are probably a lot of femme-presenting humans being like, really, it takes you 20 minutes? Or a lot of understanding femme-presenting humans being like, yeah, it used to take me 20 minutes too. Yeah, hey. I just keep stabbing myself in the eyes and going, gah, why am I doing this?
1: And <sighs> then I finish and go, oh, this is why, this is why I'm doing this. And actually, eyeliner is is fascinating because this is... You're not the first person to really tell me eyeliner, man. Mm -hmm. Wow. Check out what eyeliner can do. Look at Tim Minchin. Look at other people that are just... You know, yeah. I've heard it, and not even just among celebrities. I've heard it randomly in, in... My experiences that I've had. I'm like, Yeah eyeliner, hey?
0: Huh, never would have thought of it. And in kink circles you tend to see a little more of that gender expression coming out where people choose to be a little more quote unquote deviant or just different from the norm.
1: For sure. And we use it as a tool when when filming things as well, right? Obviously a little touch of eyeliner will make the eyes shine a little brighter, especially when the bright lights are on. So Mm Uh, you know what I mean one of the things I love about film is makeup's just a tool it's not yeah. it, there's no social construct to it right. after that point because
0: it's about what can we get on film rather than am I ashamed that this person no the actor probably
1: does not care not all. not even in the slightest unless there's something wrong with their eyes you sure know like I mean? if there's what an actual can, medical but,
0: concern like um. Yeah, Virginia but, Hay on Farscape like the, the, the prosthetics just murdered her skin um, or um, John Reese davies on Lord of the Rings same thing He was just allergic, like, his whole... He would get, like... I'm not even going to describe it, but suffice it to say, his experience of being Gimli was really awful from a prosthetics and makeup perspective.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so, you know, like, so... And I say it's it's a tool that doesn't have any norms, but it does. I mean, obviously... Yeah. If I'm filming something and I need um, a female actress to be very feminine in the way that the social world will recognize it... Or as the character is written. Or as the character... Yeah, so makeup will be used for that, but you know what I mean again it's, it's the tool to create that it's... yeah
0: and, and I kind of want to go back and almost redact what I just said because yes it is absolutely about how the character is written and if we don't change the norms of how we write characters we will never see it change like ultimately we, I'm, in my opinion there need to be more women and specifically women of color in the screenwriting like department doing that
1: well you know and it's it was really fascinating. So when I went to writing school, they said, mm-hmm. for the love of God, when you're describing people, we're supposed to describe them as, you know, relatively very quickly. We're not, yeah. we're not a novel. We don't have time. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, give a give a name, give an age, and give a description of their personality that really shines in that person. Um, so for you, I would put very, you know, intelligent, well-spoken, uh, um, very. Comforting, you know what I mean? Like these are some Thank great you. descriptors that a sure. casting agent could go find, right? And without w- looking at, oh, this character is described as having
0: hazel eyes, or this character is described like some indicator that limits who could get that role.
1: Rick and Morty had a really great gag where they had a guy as a screener and he says, "So and so, twenty oh my beautiful, God. but doesn't know it." So good. What does that oh mean? Oh my God!
0: Enter J.C. <laughs> hot, but doesn't know it. That's exactly it. He's just <laughs> such a per and, and it's the it's the
1: slow roll of Morty's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's that was exactly that commentary on so how good. women are written in, in oh, scripts. As these two dimensional yeah, absolutely. And and you can find like videos of women reading the roles that they've applied for. Oh, and no. It's so scary. Just they're the just like crap. Oh. yeah. Um, um like even if you look at things like Star Wars, um, you yeah. and i looked up... What
0: yeah, we definitely we looked up the script, and uh, do you remember
1: what it says? Yeah, so Princess Leia's first description in Star Wars is a beautiful young girl, about 16 years old. Right. Boom. Her next description <laughs> is the lovely young girl. Right. And that's it. I mean, how yeah. do you gain Leia's personality out of that? Right. Who's Leia? You don't <clears throat> know. She is a, a cutout of a young girl. That's specifically it.
0: Specifically a beautiful one. That's literally the only descriptor you're given.
1: You get this all the time. One of the mm-hmm. things that's actually really neat that uh, that was created is called the Bechtel test. Have you yes. heard of this? Yes, uh, I've heard it called the Bechtel test. I, I and it, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm, and I could be me, also. Um,
0: I could also be mispronouncing it.
1: Um, but it's essentially it's when the if you watch a movie and there's two women interacting in a scene, are they talking about men?
0: Like like literally, is there one scene in the entire movie where two women have one conversation not about
1: men? It's so hard to find,
0: and, and and it's hilarious because the bar is so low, which is why I think I believe Beshtel was a blogger, I think and she and is. I'm pretty sure that she just published like literally like my own like i'm just looking for a movie where two named women have one conversation in the entire movie just one not about men and then you start looking at movies through this lens and you're like oh this is what it's like watching this movie as a woman even even if you don't have a good perspective like if we don't have a great perspective as men watching movies as women just having that one insight and being like wow all of these movies are written for us
1: wow 100 percent You know, um, it's just, it blows your mind. And the
0: second that people challenge that, if you look at the new Star Wars movies coming out with lots of, in fact, when we, if you remember, when we originally Googled (laughs) to look at the original script for A New Hope, I put in, I think, Star Wars Princess Leia description. uh, Something about, I can't remember, maybe the word women was in the search string, maybe not. The very first article that came up is, are there too many women in Star Wars? And I just remember cringing and being like, Yes, they changed the main character for two films to, I, I suppose, the main character to a female lead. So for two films, as opposed to literally
1: every other film. And it's not like... It- changed anything about no. how that film worked like no come on it literally was an irrelevant piece come of information
0: on. except for the historical context that has traditionally it's always been male main characters at least
1: in that franchise if not in most other movies the word traditional freaks me out that yeah. word i never associate to good things <laughs> i've long <laughs> since every time i was like well this tradition i'm like oh yeah
0: just immediately repulsed
1: yeah i'm like that is not a safe word
0: Interesting.
1: (laughs) Not even remotely.
0: That's fascinating. I guess I tend to feel the same way because there are a lot of traditions that are based around people that don't have my experience of the
1: world. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I don't know why. For some reason, it's an easy argument to say we don't need to change. Right. And that's such a bullshit argument.
0: I mean, it's literally just making the argument it is safer to do absolutely nothing differently than to do anything differently.
1: That scares me. Mm -hmm. I've benefited a lot from change. I yeah. really have like to Myself and everything we've done Absolutely um, oh, and, I, and I get it Change is hard It's scary And it can be scary Yeah, absolutely um, One of the things I really like about humor specifically Is getting to address change And mm-hmm. its, its effects I had uh, I saw this Facebook post Addressing straws Potentially not being uh, Used in Vancouver anymore they're going out, right. to outlaw straws. Right, right. And I was like, thousands of people with their jaws broken are starving in the streets because straws can't be available and now they can't no longer eat. You know what I mean? Is my like, oh, well, that sounds great, but some of these straws had a use. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Yes. Or people that have
0: any form of issue where they may bring their teeth together. Like if you take, for example, any person living with disabilities – Um, who has a specific relevant case where having a plastic soft straw might save them from damaging their mouths in the first place, let alone people who already have broken jaws. But yes, there's many um, examples of people who would be harmed by making straws absolutely illegal rather than saying you know, will impose a straw tax or something silly like that.
1: Yeah, it was just entertaining, you know what I mean? And, of course, hopefully anybody that is in need of a straw has one that they can bring to places. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just that, in case. And that
0: is the distinction between having one for sale. But at the same time, we want things to be accessible, and we want the world to be for everybody in the same way that we're looking at ARIA and all the Internet accessibility. This is something I think of because I do web development. Um, but the Internet should be for everybody, so why not make the Internet accessible? And the same is true for physical spaces.
1: Well, you know, and it brings up, I mean... I always had, and maybe this shows just my lack of understanding on what to possibly do with garbage and things that need to be recycled. But when they said you got to cut up those rings that you get with pop cans or beer cans so that you, fish don't get caught in them in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And my first thought when I was six, I said, Why are you throwing them in the ocean? Fish right. won't get caught in them if you don't put them there. Yeah. And so maybe, I don't know, if I just misunderstand how trash management is versus sure. how it can be, or if that's an actual thing where we have no choice, I don't know. But it just seemed like the most illogical way to right. spend a lot of money teaching everyone how to, how to help the fish rather than just help the fish by not doing it.
0: Right, or even better, just use a half circle of firm plastic or something that's not going to trap fish, but just reinvent the, the tool right fix the like if the tool is causing a problem it doesn't matter that it's soft plastic and a ring that's virtually free it's easier to just make different things than to try and get I mean Trying to get a room full of humans to do something is challenging, as I'm sure you know as a director. (laughs) Let alone getting one specific behavior from one person. Trying to get that from every person that uses a product in all of the world, or in all of North America, or even just all of Canada, even just all of Vancouver, would be a ridiculously ambitious undertaking, and you'd only be partially successful. So why not just not manufacture them like that?
1: And and you know, that's a brilliant argument or discussion that really comes mm-hmm. about the whole discussion to change. Right. Some company that made those rings decided right. it was better to change everyone else's behavior. Yes. than Then change the rings. Yes. Why?
0: Yes. That's such a salient like excellent astute question.
1: And the answer goes back to money on that one I bet you. But, <laughs> uh, but wow like yeah and I don't know so you know it's yeah that's great that that's a fantastic point. Brings up a lot of questions about human behavior and
0: Yes, and getting back to changing scripts, because that's what we were talking about. So, and this is maybe a conversation I'll likely have with with other guests that come on my show, but were you aware there's a huge racial bias on OkCupid?
1: No, not at all.
0: So, there's this amazing research that got done. OkCupid um, was really amazing at just publishing. They did a 2009-2014 study called Race and Attraction. I'll post it. And I'll just throw this up on the screen so you can see it here. Beg the indulgences of our listeners this is the negative and positive penalty and benefit that people experience based on race while doing online dating Whoa! so like literally you can measure because we have these amazing data management systems um, and we have all these algorithms and you can just look at people and their choices and see okay but when everything else is sort of taken out of the equation, what do we typically see? What, what groups of arbitrary social constructs like races what do they do and how do they behave around other people and
1: jeez that's astounding my jaw's been on the floor
0: yeah so it's it's interesting how out of preference for men every one of these categories has a preference for white men or in the case of one of them they're neutral
1: yeah absolutely 0%
0: which is pretty interesting and everybody in the men category has a preference for Asian women
1: I guess uh, just for anyone listening what we're looking at here is we have uh, two little uh, 16 4 by 4 grids one of men rating women of the different so Asian men rating Asian women black women Latino women white women um, and so we have two kind of grids that are kind of just basing what's going on on, on the on the ratings here, and you can see it break down. And what they OK has done to make it really simple is they've, if it's a good rating, it's in green; if it's a bad rating, it's in red. Right. And the better it is, the deeper the color, or the more right. extreme it is. I should yes. say. Yes. Um, so you can really tell, like in this one, Latino men rating black women. It's it's a huge; it's the deepest red on the page.
0: Yeah, it's a minus Um, 22%. It's just like an insane penalty based strictly on the intersection of a person's gender and race. That's it. And, And that's how these things translate and transcend the idea of racism that I find a lot of my white friends have, or really that a lot of us just have in general, which is that racism is this big, scary, evil thing. And so long as you can say that racism isn't an everyday thing that happens by increments, that it isn't microaggressions, it's it's like a lot of people have this idea of racism that I experience as, well, when I was a kid people literally, I literally had people screaming shit smear at me across Memorial Park in Ladner, like that literally is a thing that happened to me, and people would look at that and say, well, I'm not one of those people, so clearly I'm not a racist, because that's some really serious shit you're talking about you know, that's that's a gang of bullies that literally beat me up um, And like, and it's okay, I mean, this happened a long time ago and I'm mostly processed through it, but what's harder to see is when a new person comes up to me and asks me where I'm from or asks me questions about my race where I'm like oh I'm I'm from here and they're like yeah but where are you really from yeah and you're like why are you entitled to that answer I just said like I was born in Richmond I'm from here and they're like well where are your parents from and it's almost like they have to justify they're in too deep to just leave the question so to justify it to themselves they just keep asking this series of entitled questions leading to like I I have to essentially help them out by saying are you asking what my ethnicity is because they'll ask like um, in one case someone asks like well what nationality are you and I'm like Canadian and they're like where are you from and I'm like Canada and they're like where are you really from and I'm like I was born in Richmond that's how I got the nationality that's how I got the nationality Canadian (laughs) 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 yes exactly Um, And that's like, it's like a little racism. It's not like someone's going to beat me up or call me names, but they're going to ask me a question that reminds me I'm not white. Wow. Yeah. And it's like those little interesting moments where you're not in like having the best day and one of them catches you off guard and you're just like, well, fuck, I really don't feel like going out tonight.
1: Yeah, And it's those just... it's those
0: little tiny moments that make up slight changes in behavior that build to... Because, you know, like, behaviors are just a collection of habits, and habits are formed when you do a thing. I mean, maybe I'm even getting this hierarchy wrong, but you do a thing over and over, and eventually it becomes a habit. And then eventually you start developing a mistrust of people. And I think that's the scariest, most insidious part of any form of social oppression, racism included is it undermines your ability to connect and be intimate with other humans. It penalizes your ability to have relationships. And I think what I find so fascinating is the difference between um, white men penalizing black women minus 18% and black women having no penalty for white men, a straight zero.
1: That... Which, which is I know
0: almost unique. The only other categories are white women rating Latino men and white men rating Latino women. And... I wonder, and actually, the least judgmental from this data. And again, we can't draw strict conclusions or strict causal relationships. Obviously, these are just co-relationships, and I acknowledge that as a science-minded person. But it's still, a, it's still some of these results look very stark. And while I can't say I've done a chi-squared test and there are significant results necessarily, it's clear they're from a very high end value just by the way that OkCupid has presented this data. But again, I'm making an assumption, so take it with a grain of salt. But Across the board, black men seem to have virtually no penalty or advantage. It's 3% up, 3% down, 3% up, 3% down. Yeah. It's really fascinating to see how that translates, that some people who hold no penalty against someone else will hold a penalty back towards them.
1: It just blows my mind. And it's...
0: It's also representative Um, In one of the other sessions I recorded with one of my friends, Olivier, who's a game master, he brought up the new South Park game. And in the new South Park game, the difficulty varies by skin color. Literally, if you want to play a harder version, you just need to be blacker in that game, which is very relevant because it's from the United States, where that's extremely significant.
1: What a brilliant way to really show people like oh it's a big statement especially from
0: white game developers being like well why don't we just make it harder if you're a person of color because that's how it really is we're reflecting a real image of how we see our, our nation and again I don't mean to trivialize the struggle of black people outside of the US I just mean I think one of the most one of the most obvious and advertised examples that I can think of personally would be um, how African Americans specifically get treated. I think they're the most egregious cases um, caught on video, anyway, seem to be those cases. And they seem to be cases in a developed world nation that other people from developed world countries would relate to in a way that they distance themselves from the treatment of people of color around the world. They'll say, oh, but that doesn't happen here. And it's really nice to have a salient example to be like, yes, it does. And when people say, oh, well, that doesn't happen in Canada. Firstly, it does happen in Canada with African Canadians. But regardless, if, if that isn't egregious enough... You need, you need look no further than the Truth and Reconciliation Council's findings on Indigenous people in Canada.
1: Oh, man. It's, that just gets... The
0: statistics were just so heartbreaking, right down to Canadian servicemen in World War II were more likely to come home than children sent, children sent to residential schools for a five-year stint or more.
1: I just started, I just read uh, uh, I just read something on the residential schools, and it was my first real look like... Real look into it, and it was just so horrifying. Oh, I can't yeah. even imagine. And you know, I mean, hopefully, as we all get older and we hopefully try to mend a lot of these rifts and help each other, it'll the world will improve. But I mean, I guess it starts it starts with the kids, right? It starts with the training. It starts with how you help.
0: Yes, and I think you hit on something interesting because it also starts with how you present the information. There's this discussion going on now about how a lot of Aboriginal Canadians choose not to identify that they're Aboriginal in school because some of them are forcibly pulled out of school to be helped. Oh. It's really interesting how the desire to help almost from a place of white fragility, or I should say Canadian fragility because you know, as a person who's a person of colour, I'm still a settler-descended person, I'm still existing on these traditional territories of Coast Salish peoples. So it's not an exclusively white problem. It's really a settler problem. And I think that's important, even though I, I really dislike the word settler as a settler because <laughs> I was born on this land. And to me, birthright matters, even though obviously it's nowhere near the same as having a culture where birthright matters so much more significantly or where the very relationship of a people to land is so culturally dissimilar to my colonially descended view of my relationship to land. It's like they're, they're incomparable because they're so different. And yet I still wrestle with all of these problematic views that I hold that I know are problematic. And yeah, I know it's, it's an issue. I know I could be a better ally. And at the same time, I still feel really tied to Lulu Island. I tried looking really, really hard for the Musqueam word for Lulu Island, but Musqueam people have been on this land so long, they predate the formation of Lulu Island, which was only about 3,500 years ago.
1: Wow. Because it's a
0: silt island produced in a delta, and Musqueam people have been here, I think, and please, I'm very sorry for not getting this right, I believe they've been here at least 9,000 years.
1: Wow. At least that's what I was reading online. You know, it's education is a big part to change. Because yes. um, a lot of this stuff, you know, it's it's not known. And people, where people get their information is going to be a big thing. That would yes. be a wonderful thing that I wish we could change as a world, is where do you get your information? Do you get it from the news? Who pays And the kids news? are
0: going to be getting it from school, and who pays for those schools? And are those schools teaching from a rote British or colonial framework? Yes, they, they are teaching from something that at the very least started with a very colonial framework. It's scary. Well, what's really neat is Math is taught, but critical thinking isn't. And don't get me wrong. I love math. I love it to death. I I excelled in math. I was one of the kids for whom the system worked. And there is an enormous amount of privilege in that, like a metric shit ton. It is is one thing that really offsets a lot of the other problems um, that I've sort of struggled with is that The school system worked for me. I liked the analytical, organized approach to learning, and boy, did I excel at that. I didn't excel in my early years when I was being bullied, but once I got to senior high school, I managed to perform. I managed to get into a decent university, which was a public university, because fortunately as a Canadian, a lot of that's paid for for me. It's at least subsidized, which again, huge, huge amount of privilege. And coming out of all that, I got a degree that didn't necessarily help me get a job, But, you know, that's middle class people's problems, you know, that I got a degree on. I didn't get a job with it. World's smallest violin. There are people that literally (laughs) can't eat. And when I grew up, I think I'm, I'm aware or cognizant of that privilege because when I grew up, we literally couldn't afford to pay for where we were. We were constantly like, if we could have three figures in the bank account, it was an odd day of the week where the bills hadn't come out yet. Like my mother used to scream at me for not for opening the fridge door because we couldn't afford the electricity. Like, that's how scarcity-minded my environment was when I was growing up. And you better believe class impacts the way that you view your finances and your life and the way you interact with people. And when you get told things like, oh, you should be a man and men pay for meals at dating, there's there's this instant, like, clench response of, like, I can't afford to be a man. Like, the intersection of class and toxic masculinity is really terrifying. And it's no surprise to me when I see a lot of incels and various other, um, really toxic expressions of, of people just struggling to figure out what it means to be an adult and what it means to interact with other humans and what it means to try for just some intimacy and some love Uh. and just how harrowing that struggle can be, even with so much privilege stacked in someone's favor, Maybe they've just internalized shit in areas where they're not privileged, like you have a lot of poor people who have internalized that they're temporarily embarrassed millionaires or that that they should be, that it's shameful to be poor and that they must have done something wrong to get there. You have a lot of non-white people who've internalized shit tons of racism about... You know, people there was one one incel case I was reading about where the person was literally saying, I don't understand how this person was dating a black man. It's like there's so much in, just so much racism that gets internalized, even though he was a person of color. Yeah,
1: but he like... thought
0: that as a person that had one British ancestor, he was somehow more noble. It was like the the volume of racism would have made it so hard for a person like that to even try and date in a culture like the US or Canada, where, yes, there is a lot of racism. And being a racist person of color is like, that is a whole other world of fucked because you don't get along well with POCs and you aren't going to get along well with the majority of white people who would even consider being around you. So that that one disadvantage, that one obstacle, because people often think of privilege as, well, my life's not easy, therefore how am I privileged? And it's like, well, you're not privileged in that it makes your life easier. Life is going to suck. Like, true truth, life is going to suck in some ways. And being white does not make that easier. It just doesn't make it harder specifically because of your skin color.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's a, that's a neat, that's a very neat way that people, I mean, when you hear the word privilege, people don't yeah. understand that. And that's a thing that goes back yeah. to education. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing with a lot of people and the stigmas that they carry, I really like that you mentioned um, if I can't afford to take someone to dinner and pay for them, can I not afford to be a man? I think a lot of that, hopefully, if I can give anyone any resource walking away is to say, tell people, I would really like to do something for you, but I can't afford to take you to a nice restaurant. Maybe I have this solution and that solution. Would you like some tea? And we're both both
0: confident enough to do that. And I think a lot of people who are poor, as a person who has been poor, it is something I was so self-conscious about. And 100%. partners in relationships would occasionally call me cheap, or I would gently ask if they could call me frugal instead, because it's like there there isn't much there. You just feel so hollow. It's like, at, at least that was my personal experience. 100%. I can't speak for other poor it, people. It's,
1: it's not easy, but when you start to do it, I, hopefully it, it starts to help. Even just you as a, you know what I mean, or the individual, if they're, okay, this is something that I'm insecure about. I do this a lot. I'm insecure about these things. So I try to find better ways to tackle them by addressing them. That's and, so uh, healthy. Boxing them. It's been a very long journey. <laughs> um, but you can do this at any age. You can start at any Truth. age. going, you know, oh, I don't like, for me, random example, I really don't like my ears. Really? And if... Uh, and I, mean, I
0: shouldn't I shouldn't say anything about it. But yeah, go on. Super
1: random, right? Sure. I mean, nobody would ever guess. You don't. I mean, if you looked at me, nobody's ever talked about my ears in my entire life. Right. Every now and then, once every three, four years, someone will say something about my ears, and I'll just say, hey, I really don't like it when you talk about my ears. Oh, okay. And, you know, like the most randomest thing, but it took me forever. It took me my whole life to learn, I can just tell people I don't like this. Right. Or I, it bothers me, and it right. changes the game. Yeah. Yes, you'll get those people that just don't care, and they'll do whatever it takes to be an asshole. Or use
0: it as a reason to hurt you.
1: But... fuck those
0: people fuck those people (laughs) (laughs) we
1: will we will help those people change yes by making podcasts
0: Uh, yes yes that is that is the hope (laughs) this is a really good conversation and I want to continue it Um, it's also we're hitting close to time Alrighty. So maybe we might even have you back for a third podcast.
1: I, I hope to be back. This will be a lot of fun. I, I very much relish these conversations. Awesome. Me too.
0: I very much enjoy the conversations that we do manage to have. So thank you for
1: that. Thank you for having me, my friend. Awesome. I'll speak to you next time. Cheers.
0: The background music was four-way by William Ross Chernoff's Nomads, published through Creative Commons. I hope you've enjoyed Intimate Interactions. Thank you to all of my patrons for their generous support in making this possible. If you'd like to support more content like this and get early access to upcoming shows as well as other goodies, go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon and pledge. Thanks for your time and talk to you soon.